Kevin Hillier. Welcome to the Legal Minefield podcast, a podcast that gives you direct access to a man with decades of experience in the legal profession. That man is John Mellier. You can contact him directly via our email address, info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. It's that simple. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Legal Minefield podcast. John, welcome. How have you been? How are you? Pretty good, thank you, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. Uh, The legal world is churning over. The wheels are spinning as per usual. The wheels are spinning. Everyone's very busy. Um, All the lawyers are flat chat. All the barristers are booked out. It's it's busy. It's very busy. There's a uh, backlog in in most courts? Is that how that sits at the moment? Yeah, it it does. There is a backlog in, in most all the courts. Although, having said that, the family court... Um, with its changes, um, seems to be powering through it. Wow. Yeah, so the new, their new system seems to be um, working. They're starting to make a dent. They've made a dent in it. That must be a delightful surprise to everyone involved in, uh, in um, family law, I would assume. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people aren't ready for that. So, you know, they have their, um, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they have their pre-procedure process now because the two courts merged. Yep. And it seems to be streamlining cases into different pathways, which are getting through quicker. So, um, yeah, hats off to the family court. They're doing well. I would assume there's some people who would like the expediency to have been uh, quickened up and others who would like it to uh, not be quickened up at all and let Correct. it sit, sit in a uh, holding pattern for a long period of time. Correct. You would be <laughs> correct in that. There's, there's a few people who like to, um, as they say, milk it. And there yep. are a few people who just want to, we want to get in, get out, and get on with life. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, listen. Speaking of getting on with life, one of the topics I wanted to talk about um, today was was uh, the the finalisation of life death. I mean, we've all been dealing with um, the passing of the of the coin of recent times, and uh, mm. we've seen the impact of that. But it sort of brings to a to a, right in front of your face the things that you should have in place in the event of your death. Um, um, yes. Yes, and, and there's a number of things and, and we don't think about it enough, I don't think. I, I think we don't. I think we think it's like still a, a, a taboo subject and I think it's still something where where people are sort of afraid to almost deal with it and it's something that you have to deal with, at least for the sake of your loved ones um, and to be prepared for if something does eventuate or does happen in the future because you, you don't want to be in a situation where you don't have a will. Um, it just leaves a lot of work and heartache for the family after. Is that the biggest number one priority uh, when you when you talk about these things is, yeah, is having the a will? One, the number one priority is having a will because if you don't have a will in place, then you die as what's called intestate. That means you don't have a, a will in, in place and if you don't have a will in place then the people who are surviving say your wife spouse partner um, children will have to apply to the Supreme Court for what is called a grant of letters of administration so they can administer your estate and if the people or the relatives don't do that then there's always um, the good old state trustees who can come in and you know administer it and take over everything and, so is, um, it, is it better to not have a will or better to have a, a will that no one knows better, about? No, it's better to have a will. Yeah. It's better for everyone to know or at least your close loved ones or family and friends to know that you've got a will in place and where that will might be kept. 
It's okay. very important because to die without one, it, it, you can either end up in a situation where um, there's a lot of heartache and work for your loved ones or it's a situation where um, someone like state trustees will have to step in and try and administer the estate and whatever your loved ones you may wish for your children or your family or your partners or spouse, um, it's not going to happen because they'll do what they need to do to administer it without your wishes. Given that everything these days is logged online, I know you can jump online and fill out a will and do all that. Well, where do you, where do you lodge it? Where do you put it so okay. people can so, find it? So here's, here's the catch and here's the takeaway for everyone at home. There's no central repository of wills. There's okay. no central location for registering wills, okay? So wills are always kept um, either by the solicitor who draws it in the deeds area or by the client, they take them and keep them. A lot of people used to put them in the old bank deposit boxes at the bank because they're safe with all their other documents or in a safe at home. Um, but there is no central repository or recording of wills, which people will be going, what? And then I'm saying, well, well, that's how it's always been. So there's no no recording or depository for wills. They're kept um, by the individual or whoever solicitors prepared them, whoever, etc. The only thing is that you will require the original will to be given to the court in order to grant, obtain a grant of probate to, to administer the estate. So that's one of the issues. Okay. So how do you know if a long-lost relative passes away? How, how do you know if they... So what, yeah, so what happens is um, an executor has a number of duties. So if you pick someone as your executor of your estate and with my clients, if they're married or have partners or in relationships, I often recommend each other are each other's executors and yeah. someone back up as a friend or someone they, they, they trust um, or a professional such as an accountant or someone that they trust um, in case the other person can't. So the executor's duty is to um, administer the estate, call in all the assets and make sure the beneficiaries get paid out, everything happens, the assets get allocated and any debts and liabilities are covered. So that's the, in, in a nutshell, that's what the executor's job is. So do you need any qualifications at all to be an executor of a will? No, okay. no, you do not. That, so, is, that, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, that's probably either not here or there because it's not a difficult job if it's okay. a simple estate and most um, executors will get guidance from a lawyer or, or an accountant in relation to how to do that. So... Um, it's not, not not a necessary requirement or a requirement under the, the legislation. So the executor will be the one who will apply for a grant of probate. So without a grant of probate from the Supreme Court, um, the executor can't do anything. They don't have the power to do anything. Okay. So what happens is, in getting back to your specific question about a long-lost relative and knowing if they've died or not or what's happened, yeah. um, when you apply for a grant, you've got to put an advertisement in the Supreme Court website, which has a special website and advertisement for people who've died and who are claiming probate. If a person's got 14 days. So there's 14 days you have to wait before you can lodge your, your application for probate. What happens is in that 14 days, if someone sees that ad and says, hey, on, that's my uncle, I think I've got a claim, they can then put in a caveat at the Supreme Court or lodge a 
uh, a caveat or other document through a solicitor and say, hey, here I am, I think I'm entitled or I've got a copy of their will. And that's when there'll be a dispute and something will happen. But if no one says anything within 14 days, then the probate application gets lodged. The registrar of probates in the Supreme Court um, goes through it, makes sure it's okay. And if they think it's okay and they've checked the will and everything checks out and all the documents are correct, they'll grant the the grant of representation of probate will be issued. And what is the what is the process then? So, so, so the process then is um, now everything's done online with the Supreme Court. Okay. So the grant of probate used to be a, a formal parchment paper that the court issued with a old fashioned, you know, the the red seals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now it's electronic. So they'll grant it electronic. Electronically. Oh, that kills and a bit of the romance of it, doesn't it? Kills kills the romance <laughs> and, you know, of it. But um, it's a far more efficient and quicker way to get the process yeah. done and completed. So um, hats off to the Supreme Court for actually moving with the times. Yeah, that's good. So what, what, yeah, so what happens is you get your grant. So if you've got your grant, you're the executor, you can then use that document to start calling in the assets. So, for example, say the deceased has a, a, a home and it's just sitting there vacant, right? It's, it's empty. They can then go ahead and sell that home if, if the if they wish okay. with the grant of probate. So they can make prepare the, con, uh, the contracts, get the title changed into your name as an executor and sell it and then distribute the money to the beneficiaries or whatever the scenario is. Yeah. So that piece of paper allows them to do all that. It gives them the power to go ahead and call in bank funds that are sitting in a, a bank account just wasting away, not earning much interest. It gets them to call in assets. It gets them to, to be able to pay the debts of the estate. So if there's any liabilities, it can organise all that. It can get everything done. So it's very important to have that grant or that piece of paper. So it's the executive's role to basically collate everything, put it all together and then come to the the people who are mentioned in the yeah, will and tell them yeah, what... And- What's and left? Give, and give them, give them what? Yeah, give them their um, inheritance. Yeah, that's okay. what that's what their job is. Is that at the point where the objections start, and you know, the second cousin of the third aunt of the fourth uncle? Um, no, the um, objections usually start, um, and believe it or not, um, there's been a lot of people that um, before the poor person's even buried. Oh God! At, at funerals, or you know, they've demanded to see the will, or you know, they've gone to the solicitor demanding to see the will or they've had arguments with other relatives saying, well, you know, we want this, we want that. It, it, it happens a lot before, yeah. even before the, the poor deceased person gets buried. It happens a lot. But look, straight after, um, before a grant of probate, usually is when um, something happens or during the grant of probate and before the assets are distributed, then the... Um, people will go and see a solicitor to challenge it. Okay. Now, in order to challenge it, it's they'd have to show, they would have to show that, um, you know, why they should have um, the right to be able to challenge. But there's also um, part four in the, what they call a part four claim in the legislation. So part four in the legislation basically means that, you um, person can make a claim on an estate. So, for instance, say you're a surviving child mm-hmm. and you can't sort of survive without the help of the deceased person. 
and the deceased person would have always intended that you should have had some provision, but you're not in the will. So you can come along and try and make what's called a part four claim under the legislation to help to help you. So it's narrowed down in terms of what type of claims can be made. So that usually would be done by way of um, some form of court process or originating motion in the probate jurisdiction and in the Supreme Court. And they'd go away and there'd be a court case about it. So um, that's what does happen. A lot of clients also need to understand that um, whatever they decide in a will, they should have a bit of a, a thought about what's going to happen with the people left behind. So, yeah. um, you know, if you... <sighs> Wills are funny things because some people view them as a way of um, trying to control the people that are still living from the grave. And what I mean by that is they might say, well, look, during my lifetime, I gave little Johnny, you know, X amount of money. So I don't think he should get any when I die. The other kid should get it. So something like that happens, which will automatically cause a dispute. Yeah. Or I, I'm so aggrieved that, None of my children have seen me and my um, nurse at the nursing home, she's lovely and looks after me, so I'm just going to give it all to her. So that already leaves open a major conflict, major dispute. So what I normally try to tell clients is, look, you should at least try and leave something and if you're not going to want to leave anything, then you should put a reason why in the will. So that way the court can understand your reasoning behind it and what your exact wishes were. Um, and some people do also do a, um, a video will, mm. you know, to go along with the will to explain their intention and wishes. Um, and that's happened with a few clients. We've done that before. Are the wishes but, of the deceased normally upheld in these situations? Yes, yes. Yeah. The, key, the key thing for the court to be able to understand is what are the exact wishes of the deceased? What did they intend? What was the intention of their will when they made it? Yeah. And did they have the capacity also to make that will? So that's another issue as well. Yeah. So especially when you've got people who are elderly or um, maybe not well, did they have the capacity to give those instructions and make that will at the time. But the other the other big ticket item is um, there's all these wills, will kits online, et cetera. But the, the issue with those is we're talking about estate planning. And what I mean by that is we're talking about what's going to happen with the assets that you've accumulated in your lifetime. Now, you may have more than one property. You may have a couple of commercial properties. You may have a collection of cars. You may have something that's different from the ordinary. And if you don't plan that with a lawyer, you could end up, say you leave certain things or say, I don't want to leave it. I want it sold and then the money given. You could trigger a capital gains tax oh. down the track, <laughs> yeah. right, for the yeah. beneficiaries. You could trigger a taxation issue. So that's why it's important to see a lawyer and look at some estate planning because the will kit won't do that for you. So inheritance and those things are subject to tax? No. So, so there's no formal tax on an inheritance, like a death tax that was abolished a long, many, long, long time ago. Yes, I thought. But if there's a number of commercial properties and say 
you've left or, or a residential property, holiday houses, you name it, more than, more than the family home, and you decide, well, I want it sold, I want Joe Bloggs to have half or one of the other beneficiaries decides I'll pay you out and buy it, well, they might trigger a capital gains tax yep. issue. Well, they might trigger another taxation issue for themselves. Because that tax is for that property, not for that person. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and the property has gone up. There's been a capital gain. So all these things need to be considered. And estate planning is important. And taxation issues are also important with the states. So that's why the will kit online may not do the job. Yeah. And that's why it's important to see a lawyer. Uh, the will kit online would probably work for someone with very simplistic uh, assets and things Correct. as opposed to once it gets complicated with properties and... Correct. And then and then there are other issues like people that have family trusts. Yeah. And then they don't understand that, look, you've got to look at the trustee to see what's involved and, and what happens if someone dies in the trustee and what provisions there are. Um, self-managed super funds. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and then in general, yeah, exactly. And then in general, superannuation funds. So what happens if you haven't completed the binding death nomination? The what? So if you have, <laughs> so, so super funds, if you die, there's there's a binding death nomination which you state who you want to leave your super Oh, yes, money, right, yes. Right? Yep, I'm with you. If you don't fill that in, then you should think about putting something in your will about it. Yeah, so, you know, it's another issue. On the other hand, on the other side of this, we've talked about, you know, making a will and that. What if you are an aggrieved relative who has a legitimate claim? Um, if yeah, and if you, a, you believe it to be a legitimate claim. It might not be, but you believe it to be. Um, is that, a, is that a, a difficult process to go through, um, given all the things that you've just talked about? So it, it can be difficult depending on what the basis of the claim is. So, for example... Say a guy has a de facto partner. He's previously been divorced. He's got kids that are adults. Say, for example, doesn't have a will. And the kids turn up and say, look, hang on, we've got a will that he did when he was married to mum. Yeah. And that's the only will we, we know about. So you go away. We want the inheritance. I would say that the de facto partner would have an excellent claim for a part four claim. And that's an example of how that, that would work. Yeah. And what they would have to do is see a lawyer, engage a lawyer, um, someone who does that type of work in the states and, and just state disputes, um, get um, some advice and then go from there. Yeah. But but the, the catch with all this is the best thing to do with will disputes is to try and mediate them. The reason I say that is because you don't want all the all that the deceased has worked for and left for you to be eaten away by legal fees on both sides. So you may decide, all right, I'm going to challenge this. We'll go to court. We'll go to court for, it could take a year, two years, three years. And at the end of it, whoa, there's nothing left. All yeah. the legal fees have eaten it. So that eating it up. So that, that's another issue to consider. Yeah. So I guess the, the bottom line here is make a, a will, do it properly. Make a will, do, do it, it properly. Yeah. Uh, do it properly and think about everything. And 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 you can't go wrong. You yep. can rest easy and don't, you know, do it and don't think about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, because uh, the, the the litigation part of it and the uh, the greed that comes out when we we see it played out in the front pages of the papers, you know, every third day is that uh, there's stories about you know people trying to get money from someone from who's passed yeah. away for some reason. So yeah, it's not it's not a certainly wouldn't be a pretty area of the law to work in. I wouldn't have thought. It's not, but also when it's done properly and it works well, it can work well and be just, you know, work and, and it works how it should. Yeah. With your will, is that, is that where you put the, the wishes, all the wishes that you have in terms of, you know, how you'd like to be buried and uh, whether you want to be cremated? Yeah, all that? So, is, is all so, that stuff so, go in there? Yeah. yeah, that goes in there. The thing people need to remember is the will comes into play when you're dead. Not while not before you not while you're sick or dying. <laughs> yeah. So what people need to understand is that they should make sure that whoever is the executor or whoever their um, next of kin is, that they see the will and they know your wishes, so they can make sure yes you're buried and what happens happens, or you want to donate your organs and well, organ donation should be on the back of your license anyway. Yeah. yeah. But um, those sorts of things, yeah, you can do. If, you, if you've made a will and you've forgotten that you've made a will and you supersede it with another will or... Uh, the new will, the new will takes over. Okay. So every time you make a will, a new will, that supersedes the old one. Okay. Because yeah. I, know, I know there was at one stage I had a will and it was at a law, a law firm that went, uh, went under um, and they had documents obviously and they rang me and said, oh, we're, we're going out of business so you need to come and get these documents. Now, I never did pick them up, so I'm, I'm assuming that the new will I've done since then supersedes anything that I'd done previous to that. Correct. That will yeah. supersede your, your old will and um, that, that'll be in, in place, yeah. no problem. Yeah. Any other, any other sort of areas in that, uh, in that uh, sort of death scenario that we should, the we other, should cover? Yeah, yeah, look, the other thing people should consider um, as they get older and... Um, you know, we you know things happen day to day. Um, our powers of attorney. So we're oh, talking yes. fin- financial and medical treatment. Um, so, so explain I to us it. what that actually what what oh, so what, what that, that does. means what that does. So, so the financial power of attorney. Well, if you're getting um, ill or frail or unable to go and do the banking, unable to go and sign contracts or complete paperwork the enduring power of attorney will allow your attorney to do that on your behalf. So they'll be able to go do the banking for you. They'll be able to go and pay things. They'll be able to go and um, sign documents on your behalf and do things for you. So that's what that enduring power of attorney does. The medical treatment decision-making form, that helps if um, you are ill and you can't communicate or you're not well enough to make a decision about your treatment but you've already given your instructions previously or your what you want to happen with your loved one, they can help make that decision for you. Now, again, I'll ask the same sort of question I asked with the executor. Does that require any...? Um, no. No no, no special uh, skills or study, except with the um, being an attorney, you have a what's called a fiduciary duty. Yeah. That is a duty where you're acting on behalf of someone to... Um, you know, do the right thing with the power of attorney. So I, I would advise or recommend that people are in, who are in that position keep an exercise book and um, write down everything they've had to do for the person or money they had to take out and do things and always make sure they're, they're done properly. Yeah. 
more more the person doing the um, I guess doing the financial part of it would need to be someone who does know what they're doing in the financial sense. So, well, they 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 need to know how to basically do banking, yeah. pay things, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that that's important. And the other ones, the other one can be a carer of some description. The other one can be it could be a, a carer um, relative, yeah. relative. Yeah, um, but they're important to have in place. Um, we have a lot of clients who come in and husbands and wives and we do that for them. What happens if you haven't appointed someone and you? it's clear okay. that you're not capable of doing either of those two functions for yourself? So if you haven't appointed anyone, one of two things can happen. Either your partner, spouse or relative can apply to VCAT in the guardianship list and apply for guardianship and they can apply for guardianship in relation to looking after the finances or making a, a medical decision. If that can't happen, then doctors can apply to VCAT and seek to have VCAT appointed to deal with that. Which would happen yeah. if you don't have any relatives or any a spouse or a partner. Correct. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the, the two processes that could happen. So it's very important that, um, you know, you think about that. Yeah. Is the, is the next of kin the, the most logical person and who who, the, the, who is your the, next of kin? Well, next of kin is a person that you say is your, you know, next closest relative or person that um, you would trust. So it would be, for example, partner, spouse, friend, close friend, child. Yeah, brother, sister. Niece, niece nephew, brother, yeah. sister, all that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, it's someone that you would, in my view, that you would trust to carry out your wishes. Yeah. But if you don't have them in place, then it's off to VCAT. Which, again, is not a, a particularly uh, amusing uh, part of the it's, law to deal with. No, it's not a great uh, part to deal with. It's not a, um, you know, applying for administration and guardianship is not always guaranteed. Okay. Um, the VCAT member might make their own inquiries. So, for example, if, say, you're looking after someone who's in a nursing home, um, they might get a medical report from uh, the GP or an independent doctor to assess the person to see really how, how unwell are they, Can they are they competent or not. Um, so those things do get looked at properly and um, VCAT does make all inquiries. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we've uh, and it's not not the cheeriest of subjects that we'll talk about uh, on the, on this podcast, but uh, certainly a really important one and one that we all have to face in in from all different angles. Yes, so it, it come at any time and from all different angles. Yeah, but, um, at least have the discussion with your your, your family and um, friends. Yep. And if you have any questions, uh, just send us uh, an email uh, or jump on the uh, the Facebook page and uh, and ask us any questions. Info at the legal minefield at gmail.com. That's the uh, that's the email address. We're happy to take your questions at any time. Once again, John, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. As we said, not the cheeriest of subjects, but something that we all have to uh, uh, come to grips with. And we've got many other subjects, including talking about having accidents at work and accidents at home and how you uh, how you sort of broach those subjects. We'll. we'll to talk about those on the next episode. Yeah, that, that'll be really good to talk about. Thanks, Thanks John. Thanks very much, Kevin. Take care. If you have a question, by all means send it to info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com.
We'd be more than happy to hear from you. And any other comments you have, please share them on our Facebook page or send us an email. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. 